Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm still catching my breath from last hour. Oh, was that fun? I think I uh, got a lot of nice feedback from listeners, and they agreed. Really nice to hear that much enthusiasm from such impressive young ladies. We're going to have a great hour coming up. Uh, Dwight Nordstrom is going to be joining the program in just a minute or so. He's chairman of PRI. He's a business owner who's lived in China for over 30 years. He's started uh, or been involved with about 20 businesses over those many years. But best of all, he's passionate about Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel. Um, He is in California right now, so it's probably good timing. He's in the U.S., and I'm looking forward to hearing how that is impacting uh, the businesses and the people uh, regarding the coronavirus. So let's take 60 seconds and bring on Dwight. Faith Radio is so much more than just radio. We are a multimedia ministry encouraging people to connect faith to life every day through a variety of platforms. Now, you may have been driving, captivated by a Faith Radio interview, but not able to listen to it all because you had an appointment. Or maybe you had an extra busy day and you missed your favorite show. Well, thankfully, you can go back and listen to any of our programs in their entirety at MyFaithRadio.com by clicking on Podcasts. You can also download the free Faith Radio app to listen to any past programs or check out the live stream. Just search for Faith Radio in iTunes or Google Play. And for Alexa and Amazon Echo devices, just say Enable Faith Radio. Then say Play Faith Radio to listen to the live stream. Use your connected device to stay encouraged and equipped every day through Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. I just was reading the newspaper just now, and it said Delta suspends flights between China and U.S. for three months. So this coronavirus is getting uh, bigger and bigger by the day, and we're taking all the necessary precautions. And uh, my, my guest is Dwight Nordstrom. He's chairman of PRI, and he's been on the program before. And every time he comes on, I learn so much about what's going on on the other side of the world. Dwight, welcome back. Bill, thanks for having me, and uh, I am currently in Southern California. It's been quite a uh, challenging last two and a half weeks. I had I typically come back uh, during this Lunar New Year, where uh, China takes time off. Uh, there's over 600 million people that typically take two weeks and travel to their hometown. A little bit reminiscent of what uh, Mary and Joseph did with the census. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. But uh, with our, we have about a thousand plus people, and uh, day by day, uh, we're making modifications as to what's going on. Uh, an example would be that, uh, of course, the the factories uh, production. Uh, we don't know when that's going to restart, particularly with suppliers, because uh, our factories typically ma- uh, make and assemble some very demanding parts for aerospace, medical, and even for shower doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, in the process, our suppliers are, are being shut down. And so city by city uh, is having a different response. 
many of our engineers went back to their home village and they're not able to leave the village. Uh, they're, they're being blocked there. So uh, we're, we've been scrambling. Uh, of course, safety is first. This is a much more serious than the SARS of 2003. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is that uh, symptoms uh, appear to take longer or some people are asymptomatic. So be happy to tell you a lot of different things to pray for and some specific challenges, but go ahead and ask me some more questions. Yeah, well, Dwight, let me start with you because you took this opportunity, uh, kind of a natural break to come back to the U.S. How long have you been back? And do you have any fears sure, that, I, that you so might I, be carrying so something? My family, so my wife's from uh, central Minnesota, but also been in China 30 years and and loves Jesus. And we have two girls, 12 and 15. And so this is the time schools are off. Uh, I just got back on the 17th of January, uh, having had two of our factories having their annual Lunar New Year celebration. So we had about 700 people at one meal and 350 at another. Uh, there was really not a lot of concerns. That was about the 14th and the 16th of uh, of January. And we knew of the virus, but it was in a central part of, of, of China. And uh, there was no restrictions on us meeting together, having people uh, get together and frankly had had wonderful times. All right. So as we learn about this coronavirus, it starts off uh, uh, animal to animal and then now it can be transmitted uh, to persons. And then after a person has it, how would someone else uh, get it? Would it be through... Um, uh, sneeze well, or the, contact know, or what? All those, I, I, I have an engineering and, a, and I'm very scientifically yeah. minded background. What I'll say is you made some good assumptions, but we're not 100% sure right now. Uh, there, there, uh, there are some alternative theories as to the source of this, but if we assume an animal to animal, quite likely from a bat to a cat or feline, to a human, it is clearly now transmitting human to human, uh, and the the general approach is it's when you physically touch, so not so much coughing, but mm -hmm. uh, you touch your you touch your face with your hands. So wash your hands, don't touch your face. Uh, we've come up with a, a list of things for our employees to just good hygiene, uh, but it is clearly now human to human transmitted, and uh, it's one that you need to isolate. So. Uh, for example, in our Beijing operations, we have about 200 people. Uh, what, what that city is now requiring is that anyone who traveled outside the city has to work from home for the first 14 days after they return to the city. So uh, the incubation period is probably in a, in a two to eight day window. Okay, Dwight, now as a business owner operator, uh, tell me how you are navigating through this, uh, what I would call a crisis, right? <laughs> it, oh, it, it, uh, I, it, it is a crisis. Okay. Um, and, and, and uh, uh, you know, for those that study legal contracts and you deal with customers and suppliers, the, the term force majeure, which comes from sort of uh, an act of God and, and, uh, uh, it is it is really stopping almost all production of physical products, except for some of our specialty chemical plants that run on very long cycles. So anything that's being assembled, if you want, uh, let's say, a shower door at, at Home Depot, and let's just say one of our operations, we sent over a thousand 40-footers, 
there, you know, that's going to have some uh, significant delays here in the uh, weeks and probably months ahead as ramp up happens because uh, automobile parts, uh, there's a supply chain and it's normally, you know, three to five layers deep. Uh, we have other aspects today. I was on the phone for quite a while. Uh, we have an engineering center that's helping out a uh, an aluminum extrusion group. And uh, we're trying to get the workers to be able to work from home. The difficulty is the, the bandwidth now in China with everybody being at their houses, uh, beside the bamboo curtain, which is always bad in of itself, uh, anything that's data intensive with what's called CAD-driven 3D programs, finite element analysis, almost impossible to conduct now on the internet. So we're we're making remedial steps, but they're they're just capturing a a, a portion. So there's a a massive loss, both not just in productivity, but China is a wonderful customer of of the U.S. and uh, uh, there will be challenges with grain being shipped there, uh, et cetera. As you can see. Uh, Modern commerce happens through uh, airlines. Uh, it's careful. I think it's important to read the words when Delta suspended. They could quite likely before uh, April restart. Of course. But at this at this point, um, you know, like one of my people that for a variety of reasons has to get back there is taking the last flight out here on the third if it still takes off. <laughs> okay, um, so. When I read, when I do read that, I'm aware that they are taking the necessary precaution. But nobody wants to get back to business faster than an airlines because uh, when their planes aren't flying, uh, they're not making money. Their their cost of goods sold is significantly, you know, depreciation of physical assets. That's right. Right. So, uh, Dwight, I'm I'm so interested in uh, this psyche that's going on right now. I mean. There are so much. There's so much flu in America, and there's been so many deaths from the flu this year. Um, but we're not asked to stay in our homes now. This virus obviously could get out of control quickly. But if you told me to stay home for three weeks, I'd be going, "Okay, sounds like a good deal to me." Well, <laughs> one of the interesting things is how we're having to deal with this, with the workers being off work uh, at this point. Uh, you know, we, we, we're trying to do the right thing, mm -hmm. and we've just said, okay, it's us as a company, and we're a privately held company that operates under normal, you know, margin concerns and okay. everything else, but we are paying full salary for when they would have returned, um, and it's just, you know, our, our, you know, absolute loss there, but it's the best thing for the workers. Uh, this, this, there's a couple reasons why this is more scary than the flu, and it includes currently the percentage of death rate is certainly higher, even though a much more limited number than the flus. There is no current vaccine. And so transmission, if it happens, your body uh, more than likely is going to get it. So, uh, you know, that's where uh, a standard flu when people get flu shots here. Mm -hmm. It's just, okay. I would say, more the cost of living this is one they've they've got to isolate. Now, once the vaccine is done, again, it will take quite a while to roll out. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of the psyche, let me just tell you some things to pray for. So, an example, we have a, a partner there uh, in this, the center of this is a city called Wuhan. It is a unreached city of over 10 million people. It's only got a handful of open churches. 
So way less than 2% are, are believers there, which means the average person will never hear about Jesus. He, his family, and his young child have not left their apartment as of yesterday for 13 days. Oh, boy. Um, and, and, and so, uh, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we certainly, beside God helping, uh, but certainly God used this time to help people to realize eternity that's in all of our hearts, but maybe as materialism and the day-to-day busyness captures us, we, we ignore uh, and and even here, you know, the, to understand the uh, the brevity of life, but the eternal significance of heaven. Mm-hmm. Dwight, let me take a little break. Um, Dwight Nordstrom is my guest, and if you have a question you'd like me to ask Dwight, please let me know, 877-933-2484. That's the text line. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. Dwight Nordstrom is my guest, chairman of PRI, and he's uh, been living in Beijing for 30 years with over 20 businesses going. Um, And Dwight, right before uh, we went to break, we were chatting a little bit, and I hope I didn't in any way sound insensitive saying that my psyche would say, gosh, if I got to stay home for three weeks, I'd be happy. You're a business owner that's now suffering financially because you're not in operation. So I didn't want to appear in any way insensitive. but I, think- I, I, I already I already sent a note off to your to your manager there at the at the company. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'd be about the fiftieth one he's gotten today then, so he may never read it. Okay, um, but another thing that I find interesting is just because of the density of Beijing. I mean, here in Minnesota, you can move around quite a bit without coming in contact with too many people. However, in Beijing, you can't go too far without masses of people around you. Oh, uh, you know, this is the opportunity and the challenge uh, for the church in China. Uh, The U.S. has 10 cities with a million or more people. China has over 200 cities like that. And about half of those have less than 2% Christian. And what's special about 2% or less? The average person will never hear. So Beijing, now I have lived in other cities in China, but Beijing, our home, we have 24 million people. And we have literally like 10, 10, 11 open churches in the city. So it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's massive people. But, you know, what an opportunity to, uh, to also uh, rub shoulders with people, uh, wonderful people, creative people, hardworking people, uh, wanting best for their family, uh, but uh, needing eternal values. And, and one of the things that's distinguished our, particularly our factories and our engineering centers is, we uh, uh, really strive to take the last five of the Ten Commandments, and for us, over the last now 30 years, that has uh, developed, uh, frankly, more more higher quality businesses. Mm. And uh, we can show that we've had about 4,000 people, can uh, can uh, and and about 20 to 25 percent engineering based have shown that that's good results. So, uh, but it's absolutely it's an urban environment. Uh, one of the other ones that just blows your mind, but when I first went there in 1983, uh, only about 15% of China was in the cities. And they've had now over 450 million people. So one and a half times the U.S. population moved to the city in the last 30, moved to cities in the last 30 years. Wow. Uh, Dwight, listener named Terry said, I, I have a question. How does the three-week quarantine affect uh, the young growing church in China? 
We don't know. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's a to be determined, uh, and we've got to pray. You know, this is one where leadership, uh, and given the, the 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 youth of the church leadership, both in the house church and the official TS uh, three self government approved meeting locations, uh, both. Uh, uh, you know, not having a lot of Bible background in most cases. Uh, this is one God spirit and the word of God hopefully is going to drive people to uh, to know how to approach. I've seen uh, some some individual initiatives, but at a at a sort of glo- con- con- countrywide level, I've not yet seen stuff. Uh, people are scared and people are not connecting with. So you're not having meetings uh, even for people that imagine your your dad died because of this, or even just a na- another death, um, you know, it, it's it's the times are not normal at all, mm-hmm. and uh, so so uh, we should pray for the church and that uh, I mean it is there uh, how that that they can respond and, and be points of light and and uh, not the hoarding as an example masks are simply unavailable. And and that's a that's one of several crucial things, particularly if you have the virus, to wear a mask. And then, of course, most people want to wear wear a mask to a face mask to uh, avoid catching it. There's some questions on how how helpful that is, but just an FYI. Mm-hmm. My cousin Mary Jo and her husband Dave have a daughter um, teaching in China, and her contract is coming up March 12th. It's going to end. And how concerned they're concerned about her getting home. And do you think uh, she could end up going through Korea, or do you think? By then, there's going to be a, a lift on the travel. Well, well so, so let me just say this. The, the neighboring countries, uh, now, China's got, I think, 13 countries at borders, uh, you know, from Afghanistan. To, but but Korea and Taiwan and Hong Kong have pretty much stopped any flow. Indonesia also, which has okay. uh, got a you know, significant uh, Chinese ethnic population, they stopped. So it's not going to actually happen through those, quote unquote, back doors. If there was a back door, it, you know, it might be like I, I'm I'm being a little bit, uh, you know, Pakistan, which, of course, you would not <laughs> want to do. So uh-huh. so um, it, it's this is going to it might be Russia. But uh, at, at this point, uh, sit tight. Uh, the schools are on lockdown and, uh, you know, uh, uh Hopefully, you know, she can even maybe meet one-on-one with people within her university environment. What a great time, because classes are not being held, uh, et cetera. And I just want to stress the the quarantine period really varies from city to city. So uh, we've seen, for, and even the start day back to work right now, we've seen that being pushed back. Uh, I do have one operation starting as early as February the 5th, but I've got one that won't be at least to the 13th or 14th. All right. So, uh, and 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 a lot of people, like I said, will not be able to get back. They half the country traveled, and and uh, and uh, so one of the interesting twists is that if you went out of a city, they're asking you to be quarantined, quote unquote, uh, for the 14 days when you return to that city. Mm-hmm. Another listener wants to know, uh, Dwight, is there anything in this crisis that might convince the Chinese government to relax restrictions on the internet? Uh, we need to pray for that. Okay. Uh, all indications are exactly the opposite. Oh boy. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party uh, is authoritarian. Uh, uh, really, just does not allow for any alternative perspectives. And so far, even in the speed of what's going on with the internet and the blocking, all indications are they've increased that during this time period. 
Wow, that's unbelievable. Another uh, listener just wanted to know if uh, they've heard it's illegal to, for state-sanctioned Chinese churches to teach the First Commandment. Is that true? That's a very specific question, and I have not seen that specific answers. What I will say is that uh, we have experienced, particularly since some of the uh, announcements by Premier Xi in 2016, right now the antithetical nature between a biblical Christianity and the core philosophy of the Chinese Communist Party, um, there's very little room for, for overlap. Mm-hmm. That, that practically speaking from you know, and I, I uh, from about 19, you know, the mid 90s uh, un, un, until about 2013, 14, and particularly now since 2016, um, I, I think that there was room for a lot more dialogue, more discussions of rule of law, more sort of understanding the Chinese constitution. And again, this is within very closely scripted boundaries, but freedom of worship. Uh, uh, an individual belief, but uh, at this time, uh, I would just say it's it's even forcing more draconian uh, responses. But we're short shortly into this. Uh, I I the the positive example would be the earthquake of 2008 in Sichuan, where they did allow a lot more outside support, help, uh, worship services, etc. I think the current thinking uh, is actually the opposite, that that was a mistake. Uh, from my perspective, that was a wonderfully warm time. Mm-hmm. Just a couple minutes left, uh, Dwight. Thank you so much in advance. A uh, couple of quick things. Uh, what should we be specifically and intentionally praying for? Well, uh, w- one, uh, th- this, I-, I don't believe anyone can say it's a judgment of God in a specific area. I think we ask God, God, you're in control of the universe. Uh, you are sovereign. Please let your Holy Spirit descend upon China and bring healing both physically and spiritually. Uh, secondly, uh, uh, it was uh, just, a, you know, as a shout out to the a local church effort. Uh, one of our people was going back to China. Uh, we were trying to bring several thousand uh, of the face masks were you know, could not get them home. De- everything was sold out. Mm-hmm. You get there, and uh, a, a wonderful Christian group uh, uh, had had some things, and they came to the uh, to the benefit there. So, uh, physical aid, you know, would that that's wonderful, but it, it's probably going to be very limited in its scope right now because China won't allow more of that. Yeah, uh, but know- but please, for the people, China is going to is is a is a magnificent and integral part of the world and God's plan for the world for the next few decades. And I can't imagine a better people and place to be involved with to uh, to share your faith and to work hard and diligently. Fantastic. Dwight, say, if you're still in uh, Southern California next week, I might want part two of this conversation. Dwight Nordstrom has been know, my I, guest. I, I will be, we have our medical device show here and MDM West, and I will be, you know, Lord willing, I'm still hoping to get back second half of February. We'll we'll see. Okay, I'll get back in touch with you. We'll take a short break and be right back. All right, we all need to be 
engaging in thoughtful dialogue with others about what our Christian convictions are, what our convictions are. But maybe you fear having an argument. Maybe you feel like, oh, I don't want to do that because it's going to evolve into something that's not going to be pretty. We just need to be better prepared, better equipped. And my guest, uh, Greg Kokel, is... uh, I got his book in my hand. It's called Tactics. It's been updated and expanded. This is the 10th anniversary edition. It's a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. And I would just say this is a book you're going to definitely want to have in your library. Greg has uh, got his master's degrees in both apologetics and philosophy. He has uh, hosted his own radio talk show for more than 30 years, Defending Christianity. Worth thinking about. So don't change the channel because you're about to hear a true radio professional. I'm not talking about myself. Greg, welcome. Well, Bill, uh, you <laughs> flatter me. Thank you. It's good to chat with you again today. Well, th- this book is, uh, is, is a, great, uh, it's a great piece of work. You've done an amazing job, and I love the fact it's been expanded, and I haven't had a chance to, to read all the expanded parts, but uh-huh. I've read the book before, and it's, uh, it's stuff in this book, Greg, sticks in my yeah. brain, and I think well, that's important. Thank you. I, 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 it first came out 10 years ago, and in the last 10 years, not only has it made a big difference in so many people's lives, I know because they tell me this all the time when I travel and speak, um, but uh, I've also learned better ways to explain the things that I have in there and develop some new things as well. And this is why I thought a 10th anniversary edition, significantly expanded, updated, uh, would be appropriate for, for, for Christians because it's getting harder and harder and harder um, to engage thoughtfully in the culture, largely because the culture doesn't want to think much. They just want to, they just want to yell a lot. And so I think the tactics that, um, that I teach in the book and the game plan especially, which is the core of the book, are the kind of thing that are going to help multitudes of followers of Jesus to engage more effectively with the people that disagree with them. Mm-hmm. And don't you find, Greg, that when you produce something like this uh, book, and then you talk about it over a decade, that it just becomes, uh, y- you make new and more discoveries every time you open your mouth about the book? Yeah, well, I have found that, you know, by by teaching people over the last 10 years, um, I just realized, as I mentioned, there are some new ways that I have come to, uh, to ex- explain the other ideas and expand on them. For example, um, I talk about the concept of what I call gardening compared to harvesting. Which I love. Thank you. Uh, it, the, I just give a brief mention of it in the, uh, in, the, in the first edition. In the second edition, I spend a lot more time on it. And the reason is, is because when I talk about this concept, I have people just come unglued with excitement uh, about really functioning in a more free and more effective way in their conversations. Indeed, I was just uh, in the Washington, D.C. area last weekend, and when I gave the opening presentation just on that material, I had, during the break, I had three people come up to me. I promise you, three people. And they said, essentially, you have set me free. In fact, that, that was almost their exact words because it gave them um, a real grip on a concept that is not emphasized very much in Christian circles with evangelism, but is emphasized a lot in the Bible. And that might be what you call pre-evangelism, you know, tilling and plowing and making the soil ready. That's why I call it gardening. And so much of the work that is makes an effective harvest is actually done in the gardening phase. And I, most people are not harvesters. I'm not. I'm a gardener. 
you know, and um, and that's what I've seen God work in my life over the last 35, well, actually, I've been a Christian 46 years now. And when I convey that notion carefully to them, as I do in this newer edition of Tactics, people really get excited. As they should, because they can identify themselves as, maybe that's me, I'm more of a gardener. And then all of a sudden, you're you're released from this anxiety of every time you speak to someone for the first time, if I don't lead them to a decision, I'm a failure, which is yeah, ridiculous. Or, or at least try to do that, yes. and that's the pressure a lot of people are in, that make them sit on the fen- on the uh, on the bench, quite frankly, Bill, and, and uh, so I think you're right about that. Well, you're actually right about it, uh, but when you talk about uh, a baseball player getting up, because it is baseball season, and he does, does right. not try to get to the, to the uh, batter's box to win the game, except if it's in the bottom of the ninth, you, but you know what I mean, he's trying to get on base and advance, advance the cause. That's right. Um, no game is one, really, I mean, generally speaking, by a single player. It's a bunch of people that are doing small bits here and there and here and there. If you Look, at if you can get somebody that can get on base every single time they're up to bat, this isn't my expectation, but I'm just giving this as an illustration. If you can do that, then then you're going to have a winning team um, because, you you know, every time somebody's up to base, they're advancing the other people around. So if we can teach people how to garden, not swing for the fences, not hit home runs, but rather just to show up and get in the batter's box and be taught how to swing effectively. And that's what this is. That's the tactical game plan. We're going to get a whole lot more harvest than we ever have been before, have done before. And I think that so many more people are going to be involved in the process and enjoying it, Bill. Mm-hmm. Like you say in your book, Greg, a lot of people uh, don't go from uh, zero to commitment in one exchange. That's right. And I think I just had my spiritual birthday about um, almost two weeks ago, 46 years as a Christian. And that night in uh, the west side of Los Angeles, 1973, September 28th, uh, my brother came over to talk with me about Christ. And he'd been talking with me for a long time. He was the gardener in my life, the big one. And I just told him, Mark, you don't have to talk to me anymore about Jesus. I've already decided I want to become a Christian. So there is an example of what I'm talking about. When the fruit is ripe, it falls into the basket, Mm -hmm. right? Easy. However, the only way it's going to get ripe is if there was a lot of gardening that was done beforehand. And in my case, it took a lot of gardening. And nowadays, by the way, in most people's case, it takes a lot of gardening, a lot more than before. Mm -hmm. Greg, let's talk about arguing. All right. Yeah, so when we start to find ourselves... You want to argue? Oh, yeah. You listen (laughs) up here, pal. Uh, No, we we start to find ourselves in arguments. Uh, Is that... Uh, when do we win, when do we lose, and how do we defend our faith and, and do it with, obviously, conviction and, and be willing to engage with another person and stand strong? Well, there's a couple things. One is that um, people are, are, like, phobic of arguments a little bit because they think of an argument as a quarrel. And Paul says directly in Second Timothy chapter 2 that we are not to get into fights with people. We're not to get into right. quarrels, okay? Right. That does no good. If anybody gets mad, we're going to lose. If we get mad or they get mad, anybody gets mad, we're going to lose. So we don't want to get into that kind of exchange. However, strictly speaking, an argument is when you're offering a point of view and you're giving reasons for it. Well, that kind of exchange just happens all the time in the Bible, and we are to do that in an amicable, patient kind of way. And in fact, it is very difficult to get people to you know, sink their teeth into the truth unless we are willing to give them reasons why they should believe what we believe. 
Now, sometimes people have emotional experiences. Okay, fair enough. But those things, lots of times, don't last. When Christians leave the church, especially young people, when they're polled, they almost always say that some something to the order of, Nobody answered my questions. I don't see any good reasons to stay a Christian, and this is especially when more attractive options seem to be available to them out there in the world. And so we have an obligation to give the reasons, and the reasons abound, Bill, as you know. They're all out there. And how do we do that in a gracious way without getting in a fight? And this is where the game plan comes in, because what I teach in the book Tactics is a specific game plan that has some three very basic steps, and I teach you how to do it, that employ very particular ways of asking questions in order to move the conversation forward in a friendly fashion. I mean, you do radio interviews just like you're doing now. Uh, I'm doing all the work, (laughs) but you are guiding the conversation by the questions that you ask. And in the same way, um, when we are in conversation with non-Christians, we can avoid having quarrels, that kind of argument, by knowing how to maneuver with questions to direct the conversation so that they're doing more of the talking and we're doing less, but we're we're making progress for our view because of the way that the game plan is being used. And that's the key to the whole thing, Bill. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Greg, do you want to ask me a question so I do more of the work? <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to be. I want to do the talking here. <laughs> okay, this is just uh, the way. It, this is just the way it's supposed to go. I so, know. Uh, but but when but when we're if you are a non-Christian, I definitely would do that. I right. would definitely ask you some questions about, say, a challenge that you offered me. Almost every single time somebody offers a challenge to Christianity, Bill, there's there's some ambiguity there. They might say, well, everything's relative, or the Bible's been changed, or there, there is no God. So instead of trying, for me, if you were to offer that to me as a non-Christian and a challenge, I wouldn't try to immediately fix the problem for you. Lots of Christians don't know how to fix some of those problems, you know, and I appreciate that. Rather, I'm going to uh, ask a question. And my basic first question is to gather information to get more understanding of exactly what the person's view is or what their challenge to Christianity is. And that's why I'm going to ask them some form of the question, uh, what do you mean by that? So if they say, well, the Bible's been changed. Really? Tell me about it. In what way has it been changed? How has it been corrupted? Now it's their turn to talk. Right. What's amazing in a question like that, though, is a lot of people say the Bible's been changed because they've heard other people say the Bible's been changed, not because they've ever studied the issue. If they studied the issue, they would realize that this is not the problem that a lot of people make it out to be. But they haven't studied the problem, they threw out the challenge, and it stonewalls Christians. If the Christian just simply said, okay, go on, tell me a little bit more about what you understand how the Bible's been changed, and then see where they go. Now, incidentally, even if a Christian doesn't know how to answer the question, by uh, I mean answer the challenge, by asking that question, they throw the ball into the other person's court, it buys them some time, it makes it a friendly exchange, and then you get to see what the other person has. If the other person has something substantial that you don't know uh, how to deal with it, you can thank them for the information and say, you know what, I want to think about that. That's a fair point. Let me think about that. 
And when you say, let me think about that, it takes all the pressure off of you. You don't have to answer because you can't because you don't know that. But then when the pressure is off, you can do some study and find out about it. There's no problem with not having the right answer. Um, I have lots of things I don't know have the answers to. So, but, but I think it's fair to be able to say, okay, explain your concern more thoroughly. What do you mean by that? And then let me think about it. So there's just a, a little example of, of how in circumstances like that, that game plan can work very comfortably and effectively in a, in a conversation where you want to make a point, you're trying to get something across or answer a challenge, but you don't exactly know what to do. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get caught flat-footed, just ask a question, especially the question, what do you mean by that? All right, or Greg, some variation. Yeah, that's awesome. Let me take a little break. When I come back, lots more with Greg Kokel. He's my guest. His book is Tactics, now in its 10th anniversary edition. You're going to want to get your hands on one of these copies and have it in your library. We'll take a short break and be right back. show. So glad to be talking to Greg Kokel. Uh, he's been on the show a couple of times before, and his book Tactics is uh, its a great, great book. And I, I, it's been expanded. It's uh, There's 40% more material. He's had a decade to think about it, and he's done some great additions. And it's a, a great way to learn how to initiate conversations a little bit more effortlessly, how to be always presenting the truth clearly, and do it cleverly, and do it persuasively. And be gracious and effective and be able to skillfully manage the details of a dialogue. Because I, I love your Columbo effect because that keeps things on track, keeping people accountable to what they say. Because often, Greg, like you say, they are just repeating something they've heard. That's right. Well, the, you mentioned Columbo, and a, a lot of people remember Lieutenant Columbo from like three decades ago on mm-hmm. TV. And, of course, reruns are still in play. And he was the one who had seemed disarm, disarming. You know, he was a... Uh, like he was befuddled much of the time. And, and uh, I mean, he seemed kind of stupid. Yes. Uh, but he was stupid like a fox, right? Right. Because he, he had a technique, and that was to kind of ask these innocent-sounding questions that allowed him to gather the information he needed and then finally move in for the kill, so to speak, to capture the bad guy. Now, we're not in for the kill, as it were, but we are in to make a point and to encourage people. And I find that using questions provides something that's been missing for a lot of people, and that is a bridge from the content to the conversation or from the scholarship to the relationship. You can uh, learn a lot of stuff from books or, you know, our own radio show at Stand to Reason or our website at str.org or uh, other things that other great people have written. You can learn them, but then the question is, how do you get those into play effectively in a conversation? And this is where the game plan comes in. It, it provides that bridge into a conversation, but in a clever way, using questions to maneuver. I mentioned the first stage of the game plan is to um, uh, is to gather information. You just want to get more information. Before you think about going anywhere else, just get as much information as you can from the people about their own view and their own objection. And that gives you some foundation to, to move forward maybe from uh, to the to the next question that you might ask. But it's a super easy way to have friendly conversations. Yeah, Greg, how important is it to anticipate some objections that you might get so you can maybe have some of this thought through in advance? 
Yeah, I, I think it's pretty important, and um, because most people, and that includes me, are not quick on their feet. That is, they don't, they're not able to come back with a snappy rejoinder or a quick fact or there, back at you kind of thing. Um, and, so, uh, and so it's a good idea to prepare in advance. So here, here's a question. I mean, here's an idea. If somebody listening here maybe has an objection or a challenge to Christianity, that if they're talking to somebody about Christ, they dread having the other person raise you know, they say, oh, man, I hope he doesn't ask this question or he doesn't go here. Well, that's the one they should take and say in advance, um, when the pressure is off, uh, on their own, um, find out maybe a good way that or I should say content-wise, a good way of dealing with that challenge first, so you know the content. Second, find a way to maneuver in a conversation if somebody asks you that question, find a way to maneuver with that content with questions, with a question. And so um, uh, I remember, for example, uh, before the the Obergefell decision on the Supreme Court about same-sex marriage, you know, people say, well, you don't believe in marriage equality. You don't believe in marriage equality uh, to the Christian because we don't believe in same-sex marriage. You know, that's, that makes it sound like we're really, really narrow, okay? So, so what do you say to that? I actually was thinking about this. And so I came up with a question. Do you think that children should get married? Well, of course not. Okay, well, then you don't believe in marriage equality either. You just believe that the definition of marriage should be expanded to include same-sex couples. So since neither of us believe in marriage equality, why do you think that the ch- definition of marriage should be changed. Notice that there are two questions there, okay? One question is to deflect the, the charge that I don't believe in marriage equality, and they do. The second question is to get them to make some justification for their point of view. Now, somebody listening may think, well, what if he say, says this, that, or the other thing? Well, I'm not carrying this whole conversation out. I'm just using it as an illustration about how I thought in advance of a question to parry the tough charge that comes right out at you and you don't know how to respond to. That's the kind of thing that anybody can do with any charge or any challenge to buy them a little bit more time. That's preparing in advance that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's really helpful. A lot. I appreciate that, Greg. Talk about the stone in the shoe. Oh, yeah. Well, I mentioned a little bit earlier about gardening, and uh, I tell audiences now that when I get in a conversation that I hope will have a spiritual impact in somebody's life, I never, I, I never plan to try to lead them to the Lord. I, I never even plan to give them the gospel. And, uh, of course, I want them to become Christians, and the gospel is necessary, but I don't know anything about where they're at, and I need some intel to find out before I know how to proceed. And this is the whole game plan that comes in, gathering information, etc. Now, um, what is my goal, though, if my goal isn't to lead them to the Lord? And I'll tell you my goal. My goal is to just, as you put it, put a stone in their shoe. That is, give them something worth thinking about. I was at George Mason University speaking uh, last weekend, and I told that to the crowd, uh, the audience right at the outset. I said, I'm not here to convert you tonight, but I do want to uh, annoy you a little bit in a good way. I want to put a stone in your shoe. I want you walking out of the auditorium here with something that I've said that's getting at you a little bit, 
and you're thinking about Jesus because I think Jesus is worth thinking about. So that's the only goal that I have. I'm not under. I don't place myself under a big pressure to try to, you know, get the people to sign on the dotted line. No, I'm just committed to gardening. That's all I'm committed to. Who knows where the conversation is going to go? Maybe it'll go all the way. But I'm not under pressure to push it all the way. I realize I'm not the only one on the team. There's lots of people on the team like me, and most of us are gardeners, I'm convinced. And so if I could just get in there and do a little bit of good by asking some questions to get somebody thinking, I'm going to be a happy camper. I just want to put a stone in their shoe. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that very much. I also... I'm going to ask if you have an opportunity to present the gospel clearly to a group, uh, do you not also feel uh, compelled to it to at least offer an invitation for people to pray to receive Christ? Well, this, this is not my style, okay. and I'll tell you why. Um, if I have an opportunity to offer the, the gospel in a clear way, I'll take it. But notice, you know, Jesus didn't give the good news every single time he spoke mm-hmm. through the gospels. Most of the time he gave the bad news and not sit there a bit. But um, it, I might say something like, um, you know, about about putting, I said, I invite people to follow Jesus or to trust Jesus. But I, I don't really do much altar call kind of stuff. I do the same thing that you see in the book of Acts. The altar call stuff, like giving a people a challenge to trust Christ, this is historically new. 19th century, actually, in the Second Great Awakening. Prior to that, you didn't have that kind of thing, and you don't have it, actually, in the Book of Acts. What you have is the gospel being preached and communicated to people, and then people either believe or don't believe. Now, I'm not against altar calls so much, but sometimes I think altar calls, the way they're done with the music and the emotional appeals, end up getting decisions that aren't really conversions. Mm -hmm. And I want conversions, so I don't want to rush the matter. Uh, I want the Holy Spirit to work to bring conviction of sin and a need for someone to put their a conscious need, awareness of the need for somebody to put their trust in Christ. So I'm just I'm going to follow a biblical uh, motif without feeling bad about presenting the good news without asking for a decision. And if the circumstances seem good, I might ask people if they want to trust in Christ. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, and if they want to pray to do that. But I don't feel the pressure to do that. Yeah. Because what what you want is this wave of of reason, this rush of reason to come into a person's mind and heart, prompted by the Holy Spirit that says, "This is something I want to do like now, right?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you want to, we give them the the wave of reason, so to speak, the good reasons, mm-hmm. the sound gospel, well defended, and then the Holy Spirit takes that and does what He wants with it. And uh, it's up to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, to to make the changes in people's hearts, and that's that's what I'm looking for. I want to communicate the truth as clearly, as persuasively, and as graciously as possible, and then let God take it from there. Mm-hmm. Because as exciting as evangelism is, and to me, it's the most exciting thing in, in the world to do. There are times when you need to focus on gardening, because well, I, yeah. I actually think gardening is the heart of evangelism. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, total sense. And and I'm thankful for people like you, Bill, for whom evangelism is really exciting. But there's a whole bunch of people out there that it's not exciting for, and it's not the main thing in my life. My heart is more for discipleship than it is for evangelism. But evangelism is something that needs to be a part of every Christian's life. So even the Christians that aren't jazzed about it or even frightened about it, once they get a good game plan, 
in their hands, like they can find in the book Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, this is going to motivate them to get involved in a significant part of evangelism, and that is the gardening. And that's what I get thrilled about. Mm -hmm. And I would agree, Greg, and I would think of myself as a gardener. Uh I do love evangelism, but the more I think about it, I, I do love to get people thinking and ask them questions and have them uh, question their questions and talk about their doubts. And to me, that's where it gets really exciting. Yeah. yeah if uh, Here's the way I think I'd put it for you, Bill. You love closing the deal when you can. But if, you, <laughs> if you can't close the deal, you can't do the harvest, then you can do the garden, and that's great, too. It's all part of the same process. Oh, uh, you made me feel so good, Greg. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for doing the show, and congratulations on uh, your work. And this is a great 10th anniversary edition of a book called Tactics. It's been updated and expanded. Greg Kokel. K-O-U-K-L is my guest. This is a book you're going to just want to have in your library. Thank you to all my guests. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. So, of course, you know what that means. It's time to ring the bell. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll see you Monday. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.